0: I told the first service and I meant it, I just wanna, um, I just wish we could all gather around the altar and just spend the whole time um, doing what we just sang. Uh, I added more notes to my notes this week. <laughs> and um, and, I, and, and I, I don't understand what's going on, but I, we, in the first service we only got, I had to, a, again, um, just I don't even know how to explain it but there's there's so much here but every line to me it can pierce my soul and I can like I told you last week I can just muse on it and muse on it for several minutes and get blown away so Jesus I want to give every one of these to your church family here and we can't Lord so I just pray that you'll cause me to give them Lord um, what they're supposed to have Lord on this Memorial Day Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be here. Thank you for Pastor Rick, Lord. Just um, the church family, what they do more for me than I do for them. So I just give the time to you, Jesus, and exalt yourself among us, Lord. In your name and for your glory, I pray. Amen. Amen. How many were not here last Sunday? But, um, some of you weren't here. Okay, very quickly, um, the purpose of the message is that Uh, We're to see, by God's grace, how much Jesus has saved us from by saving us from sin. Uh, All of you remember, right? I held the baby doll in my arms last week, uh, portraying Simeon. He said, Lord, dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have beheld your salvation. And what was he holding? He was holding a human being, period, end of discussion. A person is God's salvation, Not rules, not ceremonies, rituals, procedures. God's salvation is wrapped up in one person and him alone. And all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in him, one person. And Simeon said, I've seen him. Take me home, Lord, I've seen him. And then the angel in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, remember? The angel told Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus Because he will save his people from their sin. And the premise of the message is why did the angel only tell Joseph that he will save his people from their sins when we know that there are so many other things, right, that come with sin. And remember I explained in great detail that the sin was what the devil was after. All he needed was one sin. And remember I said that the one sin triggers a domino effect. That once the sin occurs... And they fell into the devil's trap. Um, And do you notice the bait was the same bait the devil fell for that came from his heart to be like God. All right, so they they bit it and the domino effect went into effect. And we saw from Romans chapter five, uh, which is one of the most potent, pregnant, powerful passages in all of scripture that you can take several, I'm serious, several, several months on that passage alone, Romans 5, 12 through 21, and you would not exhaust it or come close to it. But in Romans chapter 5, when when the piece of fruit was eaten, all these things kicked into gear automatically in rapid-fire succession. Romans 5.12 says, Just as sin, remember, entered the world through one man and death through sin. And the day you eat of it, you shall surely... Genesis 2.16. So just in Romans chapter 5 alone desperately why we need to be saved from sin because of all the things that go with sin. Remember again, the devil like the queen in Snow White that we talked about, even though he appeared to Eve as slick and nonchalant and casual, he was like the hag that the queen disguised herself as, desperate for Snow White to take just one bite. The queen knew one bite would kill her. And the devil knew it too by his own punishment that he received in his rebellion against the Lord in heaven. One act of rebellion and he was banned to eternity without God and in the lake of fire that was created for him and his angels forever with no hope of redemption for him. The Lord chose to seal the evil one and all of his henchmen, his minions in eternal wickedness sealed with no hope of redemption. He could have done that with the human race. He had no obligation to choose to save us or it isn't mercy anymore so just think of it beloved the angels were much more glorious in their splendor and and beauty and power just it would have been very easy for the lord is to consign the whole human race who were much more inferior to, to angels to the lake of fire forever and save his glorious ones i will have mercy on whom i choose to have mercy so instead, what did he do? He flipped it. The ones who were close to him, he chose not to have any mercy on. They have mercy on humans. So, death entered the world. And of course, that's Romans 5.12. We know from Romans 5.17 that death not only entered the world through one man, one sin, but death also reigned. No one escapes death. All right. Then we know that it was a sentence of condemnation. It was a judgment made. It was condemnation. Romans 5.18 says that by the sin of one man, all of us were made sinners. Wow. Remember we used the, uh, the illustration of the, of the uh, icon on your phone? Come on, Gert, lighten up. It's just a tiny little sin, but watch. When you tap the sin, when you trigger the icon, whoosh, Remember it explodes into the vast recesses of cyberspace. And that's exactly what the bite of a piece of apple, a piece of fruit by one man, one time did. And so what did we say also, this is all review, just catching us up to where we're gonna uh, go to today. Um, But remember also that it says in Romans 5, 14, that Adam sinned by breaking a command. You and I didn't get the same command that Adam got. Of all the trees in the garden, you are free to eat. Only the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that was the specific command that he got. But it says that all sin is lawlessness. So all of us, in either one way or another, though we did not break the same type of command that Adam broke, we are all lawbreakers. Of course, the the, the, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, in uh, Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5, are one scholar said they are just a transcript of God's character. So the law of God was written in Adam's and Eve's hearts when they were created by constitution. Because they were made in his image, and the law came from God. So they, they didn't have the Ten Commandments yet in, in carved stone form, but they had the law. So Adam broke that one, and of course we know the Israelites pathetically and miserably and consistently uh, broke the Decalogue, repeatedly. And then, yeah, those, boy, those vile Jews, they just, no, no, no. Then Paul indicts the Gentiles all over, most of us, I would assume, in the flesh. Uh, we're, we have the law of God written on our hearts, and we break it as much as they do. So everyone is a lawbreaker, and so I, I say all of that to say this, is that um, remember what the law, if you try to be justified and acquitted and accepted by God by keeping of the law, it does the exact opposite to you. Remember what we said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, based on Leviticus, that anyone who breaks the law just one time their entire lives, uh, a curse is on you, and it as cursed as everyone who doesn't keep everything written in the law to do it your entire life. If that is your reliance, and remember what I said, is that I'm terrified for countless millions, probably billions of people who may be most likely like you and I before we were Christians and understood the gospel of grace, is that we really thought in ourselves. We didn't like to think of death anyway, but when we thought about when that time came, we really hoped, right, that, well, I've done a lot of sins, but I've done good things too, and I'm hoping the Lord will look at that and let me in. Has anyone thought that way besides me? That is not an option in the Bible. The only option the Bible gives if you're hoping to be acquitted by God or accepted and justified by God through performance of the law is absolute perfection, keeping the law. Otherwise you're cursed. So we covered that. And of course we also saw by being saved from sin. Sin is not just a habit or a pleasure though it is, but sin is a bondage, it's a slavery. The one who commits sin is a slave to sin, all right? So then we also went into, we're just catching up now and reviewing of all the things that we get saved from, my goal in the whole message, beloved, is that you will so appreciate more deeply and fervently the, the cure. You will not. You will not appreciate Calvary unless you understand the Lord's severity. Paul said in Romans chapter 11 verse 22 he's telling God's people consider think about ponder therefore the kindness and the severity of God they must go together or your love for God is just it's just soupy sappy sentimental shallow sometimes sickeningly romantic you you don't you aren't you aren't doing the biblical blend of the fear of the Lord and the severity of the Lord. That is the stage upon which you must proclaim the kindness of God. Until you understand the severity of God, you don't understand the kindness of God. By understanding this, it magnifies exponentially the kindness of God, the mercy of God, that he did not have to have. So um, forgive me, I'm I'm getting into rabbit trails, but I pray they they also uh, contribute to the message. So then we saw also that the law brought wrath, remember, not gonna light it. Our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. So all of these things were from the bite of a piece of fruit by one man, one time. Is God holy? I wanted to illustrate it this way. I think I tried like many years ago and I haven't done it since, but I I think I may have done it here, but I had a tiny little man doll and then I had a giant dark brown tarp and then I had two brothers with uh, laundry poles. Some of you boomers out there remember laundry lines in the backyard and then they have those poles that would hold them up when the laundry would sag them down. Well, my, my neighbor who's been gone for years now, Gloria, she gave me, I asked her son, can I have those two laundry poles that were his mother's, he's my age, uh, you know, as a memory to Gloria, but I can use them for the ministry, and he gave them to me. So anyway, the bite of a piece of fruit by one man, one time, and then I have the brothers rapidly just raise up this giant, massive wall, a tsunami, in front of this tiny little man. That's what the bite of a piece of fruit by one man did, one time. It killed everyone in the human race. Wow. And when I first saw that, beloved, I'll never forget as long as I live, it was like somebody punched me in the gut. I was like, whew. God is holy. It was a bite of a piece of fruit,
1: just once. And all of this, God is holy. God is holy.
0: Wow. So he has saved us by that. And then we went went into a very detailed explanation of the wrath of God. Remember that? And I got farther with you than I did the first service, uh, but before... I'm gonna do one more aspect of the wrath of God that he has so graciously saved us from, by of course saving us from our sin, is that he saves us by saving us from our sin. The sin was our permission to the evil one to have dominion over us. But it's also an expression of the wrath of God. That's one of the judgments of God. You, ob- you are a slave to the one you obey. And Adam and Eve believed and obeyed the lie of the tempter. And so what happened? First John five nineteen says that we, we know that we are the children of God, Christians, The whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Ephesians chapter two, verse two, Paul is telling the Ephesian Christians what they were before Jesus came for them. He said, as for you, the prince of the power of the air was working. He's now at work in those who are disobedient. If you were a nice person, a moral person, but you weren't in Christ and Christ wasn't in you, as far as God was concerned, you were a child of disobedience. Why, Michael? Why? I didn't do a lot of serious... Because you were living ignoring him. And the reason that you are here is to live for his glory. That's why you are here. So nice moral people who reject Christ in God's eyes are sons and children of disobedience. And the evil one, it says, is at work, present tense. Just like the word of God says, I believe in Thessalonians, that the word of the Lord for those of us who will believe is presently at work in us. God's word is working in Christians, but it says the prince of the power of the air, his spirit is working in the children of disobedience. That was what was going on with all of you before Jesus came for you. I'm doing things a little bit backwards this way, but I want to, because I want to save this aspect for before the end. Um, Second Timothy chapter two, verse 26. Uh, Also what happened is Paul's talking about those who oppose the gospel, oppose God's servants who are preaching the gospel. And Paul says that our hope is that they come to their senses. Now watch. And escape from the trap of him. The trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. This is... uh, my favorite apologist that i watch a lot um he he uh, was showing clips of one of the most famous atheists in america the other day and then and that this atheist was a, a um um, a guest on one of the most popular YouTubers in the country. If I said his name, you know who he is. And just they were just ripping the church, Christianity, and the Lord and His people uh, to pieces. And and they were they were and, and my apologist who was so well versed, he was just good grief. These guys don't know what they're talking about. But they came across so arrogantly and know it all, and all the things they were spewing out as their justification for blaspheming God and tearing the church and Christianity apart. So arrogantly, their arrogance revealed their ignorance. They were so off with the things they were just spitting out that a lot of people do that aren't historically factual, nor either in church history or history, and there they were. And so, of course, the, these, I can't, I, I'm so immature. I can't handle people like that. I, a, lot, a lot of my more mature brothers will listen to their whole spiel in order to refute it line by line, but I, I confess, I, I get so angry at the Lord's enemies, I can't, I can't handle it. I just can't. That's the way I'm wired. All right. But it just turned my stomach, but here's, here's what's going on. This is what I was pondering about with this text. Those two men who are so arrogant and cocky and they have millions of followers and lots of money and lots of fame. And yet here they are both being used. At the time they're doing the podcast, they are prisoners of Satan being used by him and they don't know it. And they're so cocky and arrogant. We know we're talking about God's a joke. Church is a joke. Christianity is a joke. And the devil,
1: yes, you stupid fools. Keep doing what I say.
0: And I have an object lesson that I wanted to go in my basement and get, I should have probably, but it's just like a a guy doll and I tied all these strings to it. And I usually put on my devil mask and the devil is just controlling them. And they're so arrogant though coming across, you see. You see, it's the exact opposite of what they're saying. Wow, he has taken them under his control to do his will. Now, if that's the case, Michael, why in the world don't they know it? Well, this is why they don't know it. This is why you didn't know it. While his spirit was working in you, and you were following his ways, he had taken you captive to do his will. Well, why didn't I realize this, skirt? I was having a great time before I became a Christian. Because 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, the God of this world, one of the many titles for him, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. I have a mannequin head that I also have in my basement I wanted to bring, but I can only bring so much. But it was a mannequin head, and then it has, I put blindfolds on the mannequin head. And it's exactly what the devil does. It says he has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they might not see the light, which is truth, of the gospel, of the glory or the perfections of Christ. That's why they don't see how they're taken captive by him and being used by him, and he's working in them because he's blinded them also. So so by saving us from sin, you can turn that up a little bit, Chris. Thanks, bro. But so by by... By saving us from our sin, again, let's go through it again because we're getting near the end of all the things he saves us from, just for review. Saves us from death. Saves us from the curse of the law. The obligation to keep the law perfectly to be saved. He saves us, did I say the curse of the law? He saves us from slavery to sin. He saves us from the tyranny of the devil. Um, uh, And he saves us from the wrath of God. Now the aspect of the wrath of God that I did not get to, uh, that I wanted to last week, but we had to uh, close. And I I, I even went late, late, last week, but here's another aspect of the wrath of God. And with this group, uh, contrary to the first service, I think that I went through several examples of God's wrath exhibited in the Old Testament. Talked about uh, Korah's rebellion and the earth opening up and swallowing them, remember? And I talked about the flood and the fire of heaven uh, and the plagues the Lord sent and, and the Lord raining down from the Lord, fire and brimstone on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember that? I gave you many examples. They were, they were small exhibitions of the wrath of God, but there's another one that I didn't get to. And this is one of the most terrifying aspects of the wrath of God that God does do. And presently in America, he's doing it right now. It's called Romans one wrath. What's Romans one, Romans one wrath. Wait a minute, hang on. This is Romans two wrath, let me get to Romans one. It says that the Lord, speaking of those two men that I told you about in the podcast, one of the things the Lord does, that's the most terrifying maybe of all the judgments he does. Though let's talk, let's remember last week that, uh, you know, when we, re, we, re, we, re, we remembered that where we are right now, during Noah's flood, we may have been under seven miles of water where we sit right now. It says all the, the, all the high mountains were covered. And again, I said, if the topography of Noah's day was the same as it is now, Mount Everest being the highest point on earth, it was, the waters were 22 feet above Mount Everest. So when we're, where we are right now, we were underwater, looking up seven miles. The Titanic is two and a half miles down. The deepest part of the Pacific Ocean, the Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench, is seven miles down. And we were under all that water, and God personally took responsibility for it. Remember, behold, I, even I am sending a flood upon the water, upon the earth, a flood of waters to destroy everything in whose nostrils is the breath of life. God took, so those were different exhibitions of his wrath. But the last one I want to do of that, of that context is Romans chapter one. What does it say in math in Romans chapter one, verses 24, 26 and 28, because of the perversity and the idolatry and the homosexuality and the sexual wickedness of the people that Paul was writing about in his day, it says that God gave them over. God gave them over to do that which is not seemly, to that which is immoral, perverse. He gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do passions that were unnatural and ungodly. And so here's the terrifying thing, and we're seeing it happen in our nation right before our very eyes, is that they think they're winning. They're gonna be marching down your street I saw next month. They think they're winning because they're a, a minuscule fraction of the population, but it seems they're winning in everything. They're, they're winning but they're not winning you see the way god is this is what terrifies me about the lord one of the many things is that one of the ways he judges is that when the wicked are like this no 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 all right i will give you what you want he hands them over and so here on the surface to their minds which are deceived they think they're winning they even have preachers who say that god affirms and approves and and blesses what they do you see that's a judgment That's a judgment, Romans chapter one. He gave them over to these vile wickedness, wicked acts. And so what's happening? This is the terrifying thing. They think they're prospering, victorious, spreading, growing, and they are. But they don't realize that they are under judgment. In fact, what is God doing? God is fattening grapes. If they die unrepentant, they are examples of the grapes of wrath. That was a classic movie by John Ford, starring Henry Fonda. But it comes from a biblical expression. Isaiah chapter 63, uh, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, it's a prophecy about him. He comes, and what does he do? He tramples out the winepress of God's enemies. And he does it, it says, by himself in his zeal. And it says his zeal and his fury motivates him to keep doing it. And you see what it says in Revelation? Let him who is filthy be filthy still. Matthew chapter twenty-three verse thirty-two. Jesus told the scribes and the Pharisees, "Go ahead, fill up the measure of the sins of your fathers." Jesus knew they wouldn't repent, so he's and almost sarcastically, "Go ahead, keep on sinning. You're going to do it anyway. Fill up the measure of sin. Increase your guilt. That's what you want to do. Go for it." You see, the grapes are fattening. And then, what does it say in and and um, I believe it's Revelation chapter fourteen is that uh, the day will come when the the, the 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 grapes of wrath will be treaded in the great wine press of god that's what's happening with romans one that's another sample of god's judgment and again it's one of the most terrifying because the people under it don't know they are in fact they think the opposite they think it's the blessing of god when actually it's the judgment of god now here's the one forgive me, it uh, this in order here's another aspect of wrath that though i've uh, Studied this, meditated on it, preached it for many years. I never really grasped it like I'm going to share with you uh, until about a month ago that I really got what it was saying. Romans chapter two, verse five, Paul says that people, he's he's, he's indicting self-righteous sinners who are stubborn and won't repent. I was so grateful when I was with Brother Rick after uh, and Kim after last uh, Sunday, and that he was told me he's been teaching a lot about repentance and that it's not a one-time event you do at the altar to receive Jesus. It's a lifestyle. I don't well, take this in context, I wish I could get through one day without repenting like 400 times. It's like the whole day! I mean, I was swatting flies of sin in my mind before I preached this morning. And it's like, oh, my father help me, you know, cleanse me, and it's just an all-day thing. And it's like, it's just, but that's how you produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And And you better get scared when you're not repenting and when the Spirit of God is leaving you alone. It's a very good sign that, you know, God's at work in you. So, what happens? But Paul says in Romans chapter 2, you, by your stubbornness and heart, the Greek there means heart, your stubborn and unrepentant heart, what are you doing? You can turn that up, Chris. Thank you, bro. What is it? What are they doing? It says they're storing up wrath for themselves. Here's the thing, beloved, that even though I read that and I, I thought I understood it, but not like I, ha- I I have recently, like I said, is that you by your stubborn and unrepentant heart are storing up wrath for yourselves. So here's the issue, is that every single day when a person is not in Christ, this is what I call the wrath jar. It is over the head of every single person who's not in Christ, every single day. And the, and, and the Holy Spirit through Paul was saying that the sinner is the one determining the The degree of the severity of eternal punishment, not God. It says you are storing up for yourself wrath. What do you mean by that? The number of sins a person does each day, the degree of sins a person does each day. A person who goes around, you know, murdering people versus a person who steals candy bars is storing up more severe wrath than the how do you know that? Because God is just. He's just. So he doesn't give the same severity of punishment to one who murders as he does to, you know, one who steals candy bars. But you see, so it's the number of sins. It's the degree of sins, the severity of what you do. You actually determine your severity you're lost and in hell forever and ever and ever. God is the one who provides the wrath and the place of wrath, but the sinner is the one who determines how severe it is. And it, we're not done. Also, another, another ingredient in the wrath jar of those who die in their sin unrepentant and don't take the gracious, loving offer of, of the blood of Jesus Christ, what, what, what else determines how severe it is? Is by all of the light that you were exposed to while on earth that you rejected. It can be anything. By what your parents telling you about Jesus or your grandparents or relatives. It can be friends at work. You can be driving uh, down uh, an interstate and see a billboard, a Christian billboard. <laughs> or just look at it and read it and keep going, that adds to the wrath jar. Because it was some semblance or evidence of some kind of truth and light that you weren't interested in. You dissed, you ignored, you're guilty. You see, and before every sinner who dies in their sin on judgment day, there's gonna be a long table of evidence. Just like in a court of law, every single time their entire lives, where they rejected and said, no, not interested, It will be brought as evidence on the table, and that will determine the degree of suffering that they will have. So this is another aspect of the wrath of God. Michael, why are you here again these two weeks? You you, you won't appreciate Jesus' work for you if you don't understand the peril you were in. You won't. And this wrath jar is going to wind up somewhere else for those who believe. So we've been saved from the wrath of God, but now we're gonna go talk about the second most vehement exhibition of the wrath of God for all of history. And that is hell. We must have hell in our mindset on a regular basis. I told the first group that three pegs in my heart and mind for decades now, not years, that have kept me being who I am and doing what I do are number one, the whole world is going to hell. The Son of God Himself said that. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, He said what? Uh, wide is the gate and broad is the way, right, that leads to destruction. Now, if He just said that, you could say, well, yeah, a lot of people will be going to hell, but most will be going to heaven, but Jesus didn't stop. This is why it drives me crazy when I heard a preacher say years ago, I think God showed me that most people are going to heaven. So it's like... Could Jesus have been any more clear? Because he didn't stop there. Then he goes, but narrow, small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And few are those who find it. So what that tells me, beloved, unless I'm missing something here, is that from Adam and Eve to the last person is conceived, the majority of the human race is going to the lake of fire. Now, let me be quick to say in Revelation 7, 9, the, the number of the redeemed is so many that you can't count them. Hallelujah. But compared to the entire world population of all souls who have existed, could Jesus have been any more clear? The whole world's going to hell. Number two, judgment day is coming. Acts 17, 31, behold, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men that Jesus is the one who's going to do the judging by raising him from the dead. Judgment day is coming. And it says that every single thing, every thought, every secret work, every secret thing will be brought to light. Jesus said, nothing is covered and hidden down here that will not be revealed. Judgment day is coming. And number three, the gospel must be preached. I would beg God to put that those three pegs with a fence around them around every one of us. Whole world's going to hell, judgment day is coming and the gospel must be preached. These are what keep you focused, my dear ones. I understand 10 minutes after you leave this building today, that point, that sharp point that the scriptures and the presence of God and the fellowship of the saints, you notice how when you leave here every Sunday, you're much more pointed and you're more dangerous to the evil one and you're more bold. And well, I know the point gets blunt very quickly. I understand that. But these are things that I try to keep sticking in my mind to keep my point as sharp as possible. And one of them, and I was gonna bring this object lesson from the basement, it's a gold brick. The doctrine of hell is a gold brick. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke more of hell than he did of heaven. Why? We're a fallen race. If we had not fallen, he probably wouldn't have. But you see, true love warns. We're the loving church, we don't talk about that. No, you're not. You don't love these people. You're not warning them? Are you more loving than Jesus? Jesus warned them more than anyone. You're the loving church. No, you're not. You don't love these people. Love is love. No, it's not. No, it's not. (sighs) Sorry. (grr) Isn't it funny how they twist it and turn it opposite? True love warns. You see. And so, the other thing that I heard recently I'd never heard before, I'd heard that one before many times about Jesus speaking more of hell than heaven, but also that Jesus spoke more, uh, uh, talked about more of hell than any other of the New Testament writers or Old Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we know from Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 and, and Colossians chapter one, verse 16, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the one who created hell. Prepared for the devil and his, remember? It says in Colossians 1:16 that all things were created by him and through him, whether there be thrones, dominions, or rulers and authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So he's going to display his glorious holiness and his furious wrath that comes from his pure holiness on these evil entities in the lake of fire. Where does Gehenna come from? Uh, the, Gen Hinnom, Gay Hinnom, uh, Gay uh, in Hebrew means valley, and Hinnom, the valley of Hinnom. It was a place where uh, they burned children to the pagan god Moloch and then eventually became on the south side of Jerusalem, a place where uh, there would be refuse and garbage and human excrement and every file thing you could think of was just burned in this location outside of Jerusalem. So Jesus, and so you had to keep the fires going every day and every night, all the time. Otherwise you would have pestilence and the putrid smell was just stifling. And so that's the, so when Jesus talked about Gehenna, uh, the, his, everyone in Jerusalem, all of his hearers knew what he was talking about because they would see it. And so he used those horrific uh, depictions to describe the eternal fate of lost people. Wow. And I have a million Dead Sea Scroll notes, but, um, but, but, but it, this, this does do what we can in the time that we have. We just have to have time to time uh, just dwelling on this powerful thing that our Lord Jesus talked about so much. And again, don't, don't forget, hell is the second most vehement, intense place Of God's wrath. Michael there's one more worse than hell. Yeah. I pray I have time to explain it. Um, We know the lake of fire we know that uh, the 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 lake of fire no one has ever been in it not even the devil no demon never. Um, It's been burning with a deafening roar since Jesus created it when he when all things were created but the lake of fire has been empty all these thousands of years. Well, where do the, dead, the wicked dead go? They go into a place called Hades. Hades is not the lake of fire. It will be thrown into the lake of fire after judgment day. Hades is a temporary holding tank. We know from the lips of the son of God himself and Luke chapter 16 when he was describing it in a parable. But if this was the way it was described in a parable, imagine how much worse it is in real life. But he said there were flames there. The rich man was in agony. He was begging for water. He was begging that someone could have warn his relatives on the surface of the earth. But Jesus said, you know, through Abraham, there was a great chasm between them. No one from here can go to you. No one from you can go to here. He was by himself and in great agony. I'm in agony in these flames. Just give me one drop of water to cool my tongue. That is Hades. But again, that's only a temporary holding tank. And so that, again, will be cast into the lake of fire. Um, the lake of fire right now, beloved, is roaring with a deafening roar. Even some of the angels who sinned, it says the only place in the New Testament, they weren't thrown into Gehenna, they were thrown into Tartarus, which is another place. They were like chains of dark gloom, but it isn't the lake of fire, but they will be headed there. Now, what else did Jesus, our Lord Jesus say about how uh, He said prepare for the devil and his angels and then uh then the scholar barnes said that by the words that jesus said about hell he said he intended to convey the certainty the intensity and the eternity of hell of future punishment and then and then revelation the holy spirit now uh just as inspired you ever heard of red letter christians good grief yeah we're the red letter christians we only go by what jesus said they reveal their ignorance of the Trinity. The Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one God, all sharing the same essence. Separate persons, they all share the same essence. So whatever the Holy Spirit says through a human author is just as inspired of what Jesus says. They use that to kind of get, to, to promote their immorality. Boy, I'm getting on rabbit trails, but it's all right. Now, what, is, what does it say? It, they, these people who, who take the mark of the beast, they will be tormented with burning sulfur. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. They will have no rest day or night. Have any of you been violently sick before? And you know what I'm talking about. And you know, it, the heaves, kind of like. And you're just, oh, help, and you just can't stop. And all of a sudden, they stop for about 10 minutes. Doesn't that feel so good? It really does. And all of a sudden, they start again. But see, that's like a, 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 micro, a, a molecule compared to what... But you see, there is no end of suffering in hell. There's no break. I worked at UPS before I went in the ministry. Hated it, you know? And we had a 10-minute break, and that was dry. I mean, it was like agony, you know, having to go back. But there is no break. There's no respite. And so that's, that's what's going on in hell. Now, um, I just want to get through this because I want to get to the cure. And... Uh, another some other of these scholars and so um oliver oliver b green a fundamentalist baptist preacher that i grew up as a baby christian with uh, he said he referred to hell as the pit of the damned the pit of the damned and then he said based on the demoniac story in the the new testament he said hell will be a screaming madhouse now think about it beloved let's just say there was no fire and torment and, and sulfur Let's just say that there was no discomfort at all, but you were consigned there for all of eternity. Just being around all those evil fallen angels and entities would be terrifying in itself. But to think of all the other uh, torments that are coming, um, but you will be totally evil too. A lot of people think that when people go to hell, they're going to be, oh God, I'm so sorry. I see the light now. Please forget. No, no, no. What they were on earth. What they kept under control to some degree by the first by the sovereign restraint of God may I suggest he restrains more sin than he allows that that's mercy of God that we don't destroy each other a long time ago but there are also things that we don't do the evil in our hearts fear fear of jail right fear of repercussion embarrassment social restraints but you see for those who die in their sin the nature that they had while on earth that they tried to restrain to some degree it'll come out in full force. And that's why Jesus said there will be weeping and uh, gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth, as we will see in a minute, is agony, but it's also a form of hatred. So all their hatred that they suppressed of God while on earth will give full vent. That's why hell has no end. Why? Because they keep sinning eternally. No one gets born again in hell. So the wrath of God must keep coming because they keep hating him. You see, he will save us from our sins. Is so much more, isn't it? There's so much more under there. We're tapping the icon, beloved. We're tapping the icon. Can't see the clock, wait a minute, okay. Um, then Jesus said, the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. How many have ever heard of black holes in space where the gravitational force is so great that anything that gets near them, it sucks them in and they're gone. Now that's, that's in the vast recesses of space. So. If that's what a black hole is, Lord Jesus, you created, dearest one, outer darkness, Lord. What is it, Lord? What is outer darkness? Remember when God sent the plagues on Egypt in the Exodus? It says in Exodus chapter 9, verse 21, that the darkness he sent on Egypt could be felt. So think now, oh, my father, my father, my father, these people are getting cast into outer darkness and it was created by God, whatever that is. One scholar suggests that maybe in Jesus's mind, when he said that to the crowds, that he might've had in his thinking in the back of his mind, the Roman dungeons, which all the people, and again, in his day would be familiar with. Roman dungeons were commonly built underground underground. And this is the scholar Barnes uh, that talks about this, where um, you're shut out from the light of the sun, where the unhappy prisoner, without light, without company or comfort, spent his days and nights in weeping from grief and in vainly gnashing his teeth from indignation. So then it said, then Barnes says, add to all of this, his suffering, add to all of these sufferings, the idea of eternity. I drive past the prison every time I come here, that big giant one on, on the south side of 84. And every time I look at it, I just, I just it's, a, it's been a nightmare of mine for, for decades. I'd, I wouldn't want to spend 10 minutes in a prison. i would ministered in them, but I'd say been scary then. Like, oh, my father, my father, if I got sentenced to 20 years in that place, it would be absolutely dreadful. I don't know if I'd make it, but here's the one thing I'd have hope about. At least I knew in 20 years I was getting out. But remember Dante and his inferno Written in the 14th century he had a sign written over the entrance to hell all hope abandon you who enter here all hope abandon you who enter here abandon all hope you who enter here just want to, anything else there will be outburst outburst in hell of envy and rage um, and when jesus remember these are words beloved from the lord jesus And he said, what will happen in hell? There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Ellicott says that Jesus used those words in their literal meaning. They express the most intense form of human anguish. In which it's so bad that you can't use words anymore to describe what you're going through. All you can do is weep and gnash your teeth. That's how horrible your agony and anguish is. And those are the words that Jesus used. And then the, the Greek scholar Meyer, he said, "Misery reigns in hell." And then the scholar Bengal goes, says, "Oh, horrible sound of so many wretched beings." That's all he could write. Oh, help me, Jesus. And then, then the Lord said that, um, then Jesus said this in Matthew, Matthew uh, Mark chapter nine, verse forty-eight: "These people will be cast." Uh, uh, I'm going to get the, uh, into hell where their worm dieth not. How many remember that expression? Where their worm dieth not, and and then where the fire is never quenched he takes that from isaiah chapter 66 verse 24 where there's a massive battle between the lord and the enemies of the lord and the lord calls his people to go out on the battlefields and he, and look what i did look basically go, look what i did to them and there are bodies strewn all over the place being eaten by worms and in unextinguishable fires and jesus takes that very text from isaiah to describe hell wow do you see beloved how incredible and unfathomably dreadful it is but if you never think about these things and it's not pleasant I, it is not, it's not pleasant but oh what it does it gives me such more of a burden for the lost it does it gives me such more of a gratitude and a love for the Lord Jesus That please Lord I, I, I don't know how to hold you more tightly in my heart and when I meditate on these things than I can I don't want anyone else near you I want you all to myself You know, Gertie, that's selfish. Well, when you're talking about being saved from hell, I got them. And that rises up in you. But it won't, beloved, unless you get these golden bricks in your heart and mind. They're one of the greatest things to propel you into a deeper love and gratitude towards the Lord. So, all right, we're doing okay. Um, So basically, let's very quickly. So he saves us from sin, saves us from the slavery of sin. Saves us from the law and having to keep it. It saves us from the curse of the law. Uh, keeping it perfectly, of course, as a means of salvation. He saves us from the tyranny and the dominion and the bondage and the, and the prisonership, if you will, of the devil. He saves us from wrath and all the different forms of wrath by saving us from sin. Now, how? How? How does he do it? when i was driving up here yesterday i can say before the lord that i tried for the vast majority of the time i kept meditating on one small portion of the word of god which is one of the most powerful in the whole bible and it's romans chapter 3 verse 25 and so it says when all these expressions of wrath and and just just i would just drive and of course i tried to pay attention to traffic and what i was doing but i just kept going again and again and again it's like um It says that all these expressions of wrath that we talked about in the Old Testament and all these aspects of it, it says that these were just, God left the sins committed beforehand, Romans 3.25, from the sin of Adam and Eve until the cross. It says that God kept these sins committed beforehand. He passed over them. Excuse me, Michael, you just talked about a global flood. You talked about numerous and various fire of heaven coming on countless human beings. You talked about fiery serpents. You talked about plagues, all sent by the Lord. You talked about hailstones being thrown from the Lord on Israel's enemies. These are all exhibitions of the wrath of God. And now you're saying, no, I didn't say it. The Holy Spirit said it through the apostle Paul that all of those demonstrations of God's wrath were basically God, he passed over the sins committed beforehand. What does it say in Romans 325? It says God. Publicly displayed him. God the Father publicly displayed the Lord Jesus Christ. Where did this happen? God publicly displayed him. One scholar years ago said basically God the Father put Jesus's death on a table for all the world to see. What do you mean? You you all know on a hill far away, he was crucified in Jerusalem basically. Israel is the center of the world. Jerusalem is the most important city in the world and always will be. He publicly displayed him in the center of the world. Number two, he displayed him In the center of time what do you mean Galatians 4 4 it says in the fullness of time God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law how do you redeem someone you see says God publicly displayed him for what Michael what did he display him as it says as a propitiation god displayed jesus for all the world for all time as a propitiation what does that mean it's the removal of wrath by the offering of a sacrifice does it say to demonstrate his love it doesn't in this text which is so crucial because how all of these things, beloved, from the, all the things that come with sin are all in one way or another an expression of the wrath of God. Every single one of them. The issue is how do we get the wrath of God off of us? God displayed him openly, publicly, as a propitiation. It's the one thing that removes the wrath. What kind, Michael, A propitiation It says on in his blood. The wrath of God is removed by only one thing in the universe. God is propitiated. What does that mean? It means his holy, furious, eternal wrath that every molecule of it is deserved. It's like, you know what you've been when you've been very, very angry, even in sinful anger. And then someone does something that appeases you. You know what I mean? And then you don't feel angry anymore because they did something to pacify you or rectify it. But you see, oftentimes that's sinful in context. But with the Lord, his wrath, you saw just little outburst of it that to us seem absolutely devastating. But all of it, beloved, all of it, it says in his forbearance, he left it. He passed over it. But now all of a sudden it says, He displayed him publicly as a propitiation in his blood. Why? It says to demonstrate his righteousness. For once and for all time, for all of eternity, I am going to show both angelic and human creatures how much I hate sin, how holy I am. The sins of all of God's people of all time. Transferred, imputed, laid on by the Father, Isaiah 53. The Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is very hard for you to believe and conceive as it is with me. This is a much, much more severe exhibition of the wrath of God than hell itself. But Michael hell's eternity but you see sinners in hell and, and demons they're only getting what they deserve it's natural of course for God to punish evil beings like that forever who keep on sinning against him but you see this is the greatest demonstration of the holiness of God that even when the sins of God's people are put on the altogether lovely one the darling of heaven the Son is the sparkle in the Father's eyes. He still didn't hold back his fury, even when the sins are on his Son. That demonstrates his holiness exponentially more than hell. Jesus knew what the cup was in the garden, because he was the Lord of the Old Testament who would pour out the cup of his wrath on nations through the prophets. He knew what he was talking about, beloved. He said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Drank it all for you. If he held back just one drop of the wrath of God deserved by his people, then God can still have punitive wrath on you. And you'll never know. That condemnation that you feel and that wrath in your spirit when you've sinned, it could be God. But you know it's not because of Romans 3.25. Why? He displayed him publicly as a propitiation in his blood. Not in your performance as to how well you fight sin or not. God's wrath was appeased. All the wrath jars of all of God's people for all time, for six hours on a cross outside Jerusalem, were held over over him. And Jesus suffered for your wrath jar. Every sin you'd ever do. till you die. I grew grew up in a religion, well, he got the ones pre-baptism. That's a lot of hope. All of them. Or it's not a glorious salvation by grace all of them now remember beloved we're almost done remember the fierce furious wrath of god for biting a piece of fruit by one man one time now think of you think of remember i said earlier revelation 7 9 that the number of the redeemed in heaven will be no man can count there will be so many think about all those wrath jars every single one of those redeemed had to be redeemed why countless millions of sins is that exaggerating of an average lifespan of 80 years is that exaggerating when you think about it what the world has suffered by the bite of a piece of fruit by one man one time well all the wrath jars of that countless number of people the lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all and it says that god was propitiated after the sufferings of his beloved one and jesus said It is finished. All of father's wrath. Was spent and he was satisfied. I accept the sacrifice. How do we know? Because Jesus rose three days later. If for any reason, the father was not pleased with the sacrifice. Jesus would still be in the grave and we'd still be in our sin. This is so what happens in those furious times when the law of God is bearing down on you and you're breaking it while you're... Ever been there like me many, many times while I'm asking God to forgive me for a sin, I'm doing it again? And you're just feeling so condemned and unworthy of him. You feel like God's furious wrath is on you, that he's letting you go. And What's your reply, Michael? The curse of the law, you deserve it. You've broken it so many times. What's your reply? You please Satan sometimes more than God. What's your cry, Michael? I only have one cry. the blood of another person all of god's wrath was propitiated by him and him alone jesus is god's propitiation not michael not my resolve to try to do better tomorrow This is why so many hymns and songs have been written about the blood of Jesus. I didn't do this in the first service, but just ran out of time, but. I don't know if I can make it work, but this is what the blood of Jesus should be like to us. It should sparkle. It should, and this is really not right because uh, my sister who's a nurse, uh, uh, Colette, my other sister, Uh, she told me when I asked her years ago how much how much blood is in an average 30 year old man and co said about five quarts so this is a paltry object lesson but take it in context but you see Jesus blood sparkles and I wish I could make it bubble too it answers all the cries of the justice of God against you every accusation how many of you know that most of the accusations the devil throws at you are true he's not stupid Gertie wears a pink tutu at night at three in the morning every night. Would that bother me? No, because I don't. No, he, he'll, he'll come after you with other things that you and he know are true. But you say, well, yeah, no, no. God's angry at you, Gertie, because you did it again. Did it again. Um, all that anger that God, yeah, he was, and I deserved every drop of it. But you see, he's appeased by the blood of another person, my substitute. My father's propitiated and it wasn't that the father's the angry person of the Godhead and Jesus is the nice one has been, it's, that's been portrayed. No, no, no. The father was so desirous to take his wrath off of his people. He's the one who sent Jesus. And Jesus willingly agreed. Dearest Lord Jesus. I asked Lord Jesus by the same Holy Spirit that enabled this fumbling preacher Lord to, to try to get your precious words to your people. So now Lord do his precious work that only he can do. If there is someone or, or, or more than one uh, precious eternal soul in this room, Lord, they, they still have a wrath jar over their head because they're not in you and you're not in them Oh, dear Jesus, that this is the day you're calling them to yourself, that you willingly will take their wrath jar in their place and give them the acceptance and favor of God. I can't make them do it, Lord. I wish I could, but I can't. I just ask, Holy Spirit, you will do that precious, drawing, convicting work. Draw them to the Savior, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. So, Lord, that's what I'm asking for now in your great grace. Woo sinners to yourself, dear Lord. Break the chains, enable them to come to your Father. Holy Spirit, we thank you. One of the kindest things you do for us is convict us of sin. We can go from one minute loving it and being a slave to it to hating it and wanting to forsake it all by the grace of God. So may it be so. Move on those souls, dear Lord. Jesus' precious name, Pastor Rick.
1: Amen. This morning, you might say, why spend so much time talking about wrath and judgment and eternal torment and hell? It's because the truth is, without Jesus Christ, we're all headed there. To sum up everything Pastor Mike said, all of those things can be erased when we come to Jesus and make him Lord and Savior of our lives. The good news is none of us need to experience the wrath and the judgment and the penalty that we justly deserve if we'll just accept Jesus and believe God raised him from the dead, as Romans said, that we would be saved so this morning, as we bow our heads in the presence of God, if you're here and you never had an opportunity to ask Jesus into your life, if you never had an opportunity to forsake your sin and say, I, I, I know I'm a sinner, I, I need a Savior, if you'd never had that opportunity, you're going to have it right now. I pray this morning that... If you're on the outside looking in and you're saying, I I understood a lot of what was said here today, and I understand that I'm a sinner, and I understand I need a Savior, I want to offer you a Savior today. There's only one name under heaven that we can be saved by, and that's Jesus. It's not good works. It's not false religious systems. It's not by being good. God doesn't grade on a curve. This morning, if you would like to accept Jesus to receive a Savior... I want you to simply slip up your hand this morning and say, I want to receive the Savior. I want to be delivered from my sin. I want to be excused from the wrath and the judgment and the eternal separation. I want that this morning, and I want to accept Jesus. How many people here need to do that if you just slip up your hand this morning? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Hands going up. Don't be shy. Don't miss your opportunity. Let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize you're the Savior, and I confess I'm a sinner. I receive you as my Savior. I receive you as my Lord. From this moment forward, I belong to you. I trust you, and I lean on you for my salvation. You say, Pastor Rick, what? will happen when you make a decision such as this. Well, the Lord will save you. He will write your name down in the Lamb's book of life. He'll fill you with the Holy Spirit to give you the power to live a different life. And this morning, just by a decision of your will and by the drawing of the Holy Spirit and by the power of Jesus' blood, you are saved. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to welcome you to the family of God. Let's give God some praise this morning. God bless you.